Welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. This week, we have a special guest, Pastor Ryan Iverson. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. And let's all just give a round of applause for uh, Harrison and Chrissy for having another kid. Come on, somebody. Come on, you can be seated. Come on, well, he uh, asked me to speak a few uh, months ago. And uh, man, I got to tell you, that was prophetic timing. Because uh, here I am preaching, and he's got a baby, and uh, he, didn't, he thought he'd be here this morning with us, and uh, he texted me last night and said, bro, I'm not coming to church tomorrow. <laughs> so we, I don't know, do we have a picture or something? No, you guys, some of you got a picture. I would show you on my phone, but during church today, I took a little selfie, and he sent me a picture back of him holding little Malachi's foot. And he said, you're amazing, but I'm having the time of my life. So, so he's, uh, he loves you, but he loves Malachi better. So come on, I'm so glad to be here today. My name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, uh, we've had the, I've had the privilege of being an elder at the church here, part of the apostolic oversight here since the foundation of the church. And uh, it's been such an honor to be a part of uh, this church and this beautiful building. And I hear you guys are potentially doing some more construction coming up here soon. So we're so thankful for that. Uh, but I'm, I'm Ryan. I pastor a church down in Calgary called Love City Church. And uh, if you hear that and think, oh, that sounds weird, we're not weird. A lot of people, it wasn't, you guys didn't laugh, only a few of you did. When people, I tell them our church name, they often will just keep on going, like, I ain't going to that church, sounds weird. And then they look us up and realize we're not weird, uh, we love Jesus, we love the city, and uh, when we named it, we meant it for God's kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, that's for sure. Uh, but I've been married for about uh, 18 years this last Sunday. Come on, I have my 14-year-old daughter here, Brea. Brea, why don't you stand up and say hi to everybody? Come on now. She's the shyest girl on the planet wearing her cool Michael Jordans. Come on now. So this is Brea. And I, was, I made a joke saying she's single, but she's only 14, so it's a little weird. She's like, Dad, don't say that. But then I just said it, Brea. I'm sorry. And then my son, Ezra, who is a little mini-me. Uh, he doesn't look like me, but he is a mini-me. And uh, as I grow in my parenting with my son, I realize how badly and, and terribly uh, I need Jesus, and uh, because my son is just like me, and uh, so I just uh, repented to my parents. I repent to the Lord, even on this stage publicly. I make a public confession of faith. That, uh, but they're awesome. And my wife Stephanie, she's preaching today at Love City Church and bringing a word today. So come on, well we are so excited uh, to be here with you today. Uh, I'm just gonna get right into it. If you know me at all, I just love. Uh, generally, I come and I bring a real. Uh, um, uh, generally a foundational word, a, doc, a word on doctrine, a word on foundation, church culture, to kind of help Harrison out a little bit, to say things to you that he probably can't say, such as get off your butt and join a team, you know, stuff like, you know, hey, the, the Sunday gathering is just a portion of the church. You need to be a part of a group or a small group. And come on, we need to serve our pastors, amen. And hey, when's the last time you prayed for Harrison and Christy? Uh, that's a, I want to encourage you to pray for your pastors. Come on, when's the last time you gave your tithe? Come on, if you're giving 2%, uh, that's not a tithe. That's only 2%. The word tithe means 10%. And so I, I just wanted to tick you off first thing this morning for those in the room. I'm like, dang it, I don't like this guy. But lucky for you, I ain't bringing a word like that today. <laughs> You're so happy, aren't you? Like, oh, he said, the, he said the tithe word just the first two minutes into the sermon. 
Um, I'm going to bring a word to you today. This week, I, was, I had nothing to share. I was on my anniversary trip. I played 36 holes of golf this week at Kananaskis. Shot an 84, praise God. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Thank you. What I didn't tell you is that we played scramble off the first hole, so that means I got to do the drive. But I don't tell anybody else that, so keep it quiet. Um, but uh, I, I just honestly didn't, I, I, nothing was settling in my heart. And uh, I actually sat down on Friday morning. I got nothing, guys. I'm like, all right, Lord, you're quiet. What's going on? I'm going to get up. And generally at that point, pastors will go to their, uh, their old sermons. You know, at that point, they go find the top 10 and choose the one that's going to knock your socks off. And uh, Friday morning, I was praying. The Lord dropped a word on my heart. He dropped a, a thought on my heart. And the phrase is, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And this is the word that dropped in my heart. And I want to talk to you about this today. It, it doesn't make sense. Making sense of impossible situations. Uh, we're doing a series at Love City Church for the next uh, 10 weeks on the life of Moses. And we're going to walk through the life of Moses and we're going to learn about uh, what it looks like to journey. The cool thing about Moses is very rarely do we get to see the beginning and the end of a life in the Bible. Very rarely do we get to see how things started and how things ended and the decisions and the life and the whole deal. Like very rarely do we get to see that. Jesus might be one of the only other ones we get to see that with. And so what I want to share with you today is just something very simple. Some of you today are going to love this message. You're going to think, oh, man, that was radically awesome. Some of you today are going to say, I heard that before. Uh, I'm going to go watch, you know, Stephen Furtick later on or whatever you watch, which some of you probably do that anyways. But uh, you might just be like, oh, man, I need to get a real word today. And some of you here today are, are, are going through a situation that doesn't make any sense. Or maybe you are young here today and you're a bit disillusioned with your life. You're a bit disillusioned with university or college or your relationship or maybe you're in a marriage that's not going very well and you're disillusioned and things are happening you're like this just doesn't make sense I thought that if I went to church and if I served God and if I gave my life to him the life would kind of be great I, I hear all these people talk about life being abundant and my life doesn't feel abundant why does it feel like every single time I serve God I do the right things I go for the Lord things are great and then something happens that just doesn't make any sense it feels like there's no purpose. It feels like, God, like, this is like, did you mess up here? Was this a glitch in the matrix or something? Like, like what happened? Did I not pray enough? Did I not fast? When I took communion, did I not take it serious enough? Like, God, what is wrong? Are you punishing me, God? What did I do so wrong? This sense and this heart and this idea, that, man, it just doesn't make sense. And there's a story that often very easily and, and I want to assume this, but I, I, I bet a lot of us pass right by this text without realizing what's actually happening in this text today. And so what we're going to do, don't be worried. I like to read, read a lot of scripture. The reason is because often I can say all sorts of stuff. But if I read scripture, you can go home later and read it and the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. So what I do is I'm, we're going we're gonna to go through a chapter of the Bible today. And if you have a Bible, anybody have a paper Bible in the room? Are we, come on, bring your, oh, that's awesome. Come on. Let's turn, if you've got a paper Bible uh, and, or a digital Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 13. And we're all, we're going to, if you don't have either of those, it's going to be on the screen. I put them all up there for you. Uh, but I encourage you to look at it yourself. I'm going to be reading from the NIV today, the New International Version. Uh, and so you can look up that. If you're taking notes, you can write down the title it doesn't make sense, making sense of difficult situations. Let's read this text together. And we're going to read uh, verse 20 to 22, and then we're going to read Exodus 14, 1 to 2. So four verses right in a row. You can look on the screen or look at your Bible. Let's uh, read it together. After, having, uh, having, after leaving Succoth, 
they camped at Ethim on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Exodus 14, verse 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near P. This is a weird word. P ha he roth. Let's try that together. P ha he roth. Like pee pee. It's kind of funny. P ha he roth. Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near P ha he roth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Belsaphon. It just doesn't make any sense. Let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you today. Thank you that, Father, your word is living and active. In fact, your word is the only truth on the planet. Lord, thousands of years of writers inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the words that bring abundant life. Father, those who are here today who are listening online or in the room, those who know you well, those who are far from you, those who are brand new to you, Holy Spirit, only you can reveal Christ to them. And as we study your word today, Lord, I could say all sorts of crazy things, but Lord, we know that you remain the only one that's not a liar. You are true, you are righteous, you are the beginning and the end, and your word, Lord, your Logos word, but Lord, we're praying for the rhema word. Would you come and would you speak to us, Lord, and help us make sense of these difficult circumstances in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a few things that don't make sense to me, like when uh, people drive slow in the fast lane. How many of you are the slow driver? Just put your hand in. Oh, bless you, sister. Come on, how about uh, when you need to get a credit card in order, or to establish credit to get a home, you have to, in order to establish credit, you have to have credit. That makes no sense to me. How about those little M&M fun packs? Ever seen those little M&M fun packs? You know what I'm talking about? Little tiny things that are like, why are those fun? You get less candy. It makes no sense. Like they should have a massive bag that says lots of fun pack. You know, I, I, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, it, what doesn't, you know, make sense to me is the idea that we call it a pair of pants when it's just one pair. Or how about the grading system? A, B, C, D, F. Where did the E go? Anyone ever wonder that? What's going on here? How about when our kids order chicken fingers? They are not fingers. Do chickens have fingers? Do they? It makes no sense to me. You know, there's a lot of things in life that just don't make sense to us. But the truth is this, is that when we uh, encounter life as a follower of Christ, we recognize that each and every one of us in life are going to experience times in life when they just don't make sense. Every one of us has had these moments. Why did that house fall through? God, why would you put me uh, in front of this house and speak to my heart if the, if the sale was going to fall through? God, why would you put this wonderful young lady in my life? I'm a single guy and we have a great relationship and then things fall apart. God, why would, why would you allow that? And God, why would you allow me to lose that child? Or why would you allow my relationship to fall apart? Why does it feel like everywhere I look around on the earth today, 
Every person that's not following God is living a high life. They're blessed. They got the nice cars and the nice things, and it doesn't look like they ever have any problems. I've seen them on Instagram. Their lives are perfect. Why does it feel like this? Why does it feel like every single time I look around, there's people who don't know God? And these people often don't know God, and yet here they are not serving him, and their lives look absolutely blessed. And often it leaves us to to wonder, God, where are you? Where is God in all this? God, where are you in this journey? Why does it feel like serving you often leads to suffering rather than blessing? Why does it feel like sometimes that I'm in this position where I almost feel like sometimes you tricked me a little bit? You told me to go down this direction, and it's a dead end. Why do I feel like you're waiting to trick me at times? Now, I might be the only one here who's willing to admit this, but I feel like that sometimes. Anybody else? Like, I'm going down life, and I hit a dead end. And I know some of you in this room or in this season, and you feel like you don't know what's going on in your life. And I want to jump back into this text for a minute. And if you, if you'd be very, very easy to miss this text, to miss this, that in this scripture we're talking about, you may not realize this, But this is right before the people of Israel were about to cross over the Red Sea. Remember the story? Many of you do. Some of you might not. Moses, a man of God, was wandering through the wilderness, and he met God through a burning bush. And he said, I want you to go and lead my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt Egypt where they're in slavery. And Moses, which is crazy, Moses actually didn't want to go, and he said, choose someone else. Now, this is, you go study this for a second. This will blow your mind. He said, God, pardon me, choose someone else. And so God said, okay, fine, how about Aaron? And a few days later, the Bible says that God showed up to kill Moses. And then his wife circumcised their son, threw his foreskin on Moses' feet, and God relented. That'll preach a weird sermon. I read that and say, like, God showed up like an assassin, like, come on now, Moses, walk out on the path, and this woman just, that's crazy talk, like, what's going on? God relented because of the blood of a sacrifice, the circumcision, the blood was cast upon his feet, covered him, and in that moment, Moses then began to go back to uh, Egypt and did all these crazy uh, miracles and things and, you know, locusts and all these things. And finally, at the very end, the the, the firstborn son of every person in Egypt died and and the Passover came where the death angel did not touch the people of God. Now they're running out of Egypt and they're, they're on a 200-kilometer uh, tra- uh, trip traveling around the ocean's edge. And now they're being led out of running away from the people of Egypt, knowing that Pharaoh's going to probably realize that 1.5 million of their workforce just left. Like, he's like, like going to realize how stupid of a business decision this is. And now for 400 years, they've had, uh, you know, complete these Israelites under their thumb and one day he, you know, God just touched his heart and now like all the baristas just left, you know, like all the, the, the bread makers and the subway workers and Starbucks and everything's just falling apart. He's going to realize that they need us and so they're running for their lives trying to get away. And we see here in this text something very fascinating, very interesting about this verse. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham. Say Etham. They camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. 
There's something very fascinating about this, a very important detail, that the people of Israel, they traveled along, all the way along the very border of the water, surrounded by Migdol, which was an Egyptian military watchtower. It was a place where they would look out in war and look for enemies. And here they see 1.5 million people slowly scraggling their way all across and all the way up to Etham. And at the very top of Etham, they were led to a place where there were mountains surrounding them 300 meters high. The space in which they went to, think about this, 1.5 million people, the space of Etham was only 700 square kilometers. So here they are in this tiny space. God led them to this place where they were surrounded by mountains. They were surrounded by the sea. And they passed the Migdal. And as you see in this spot right across from Baal Zephon, that is the spot right in the corner there, across from Baal Zephon, where they actually crossed the Jordan, or where they crossed the Red Sea. And so they passed the very location in which God would eventually lead them back to. This makes no sense. Why would God lead them? Remember, he led them by cloud by day and fire by night. Remember that that direction from the Lord never once left in front of them, behind them, around them. They were constantly being led by God. And yet God led them to what looks like a dead end. God led them to a place where they were surrounded by mountains where they were closed in by the sea, where they were bottlenecked so if an enemy did choose to come, they would be trapped. It's very important we see this, that God led them past this military tower in Migdol, past Baal Zephon, which was the final resting place, to the end of a coastal road, to a dead end, surrounded by mountains. And you need to understand something, even though the text doesn't imply it, the text doesn't say it, there was a purpose behind this dead end. There was a reason why this situation happened. Now, I want to remind you, if you're facing something hard today, if you've lost a loved one or lost a child or experienced a loss of a relationship or you've experienced something hard in your life, what I'm going to tell you today, you won't like. And I only say that today because I know what it's like to be in a situation. I remember many years ago, we, owned, we had several rental properties in our own home down in the States in the, in the 2000s. And we got all these beautiful homes and God was blessing us. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the market crashed. And what I paid $250,000 for that appraised for $400,000, then sold in the bank steps in foreclosure just two years later. And I lost $150,000 and had to file for bankruptcy and lost everything. Those are the moments when the pastor gets up and says, if you're here today and you're facing a financial crisis, come forward and we will pray for you and God will restore your fortune. I say, shut up. You don't know my situation. I'm not going to go forward and pray. You don't know how badly it hurts to lose my kid. You don't know what it's like to be left alone in that relationship. You don't know what it's like to lose everything. Preacher up there, you don't know nothing. But the truth is, I've never lost a child. I don't know what that's like. I've never been through a divorce. I don't know what that's like. I've had a lot of relationships fall apart and finances fall apart. I've had my own uh, season of being in hell's prison. My story, not your story, but I need to tell you today, what I'm going to say to you today are the things that you won't like, but you should hear. The things that you won't like, but the Bible teaches the things you won't like, but will restore your joy and fortune and belief in God and will restore you today. And here we are at a dead end of this story and we find ourselves in a place where they were trapped. It just didn't make any sense. 
Now, I call this the Etham Dilemma. Times in life when our lives take a detour. Times in life when you get that cancer report. Times in life when you lose that job. Times in life when it just seems interesting. There was a gentleman in our church who moved here from, from uh, another part of the, the world. And he moved here. Things were great. Life was good. And he found his wife, got married. And they had their first child. Life was going amazing for them. They were new to Canada, loving the, the, the culture, loving everything about it. And then they, had their, they were pregnant with their second child and there were some complications and she chose to abort the baby without him knowing. And then after that, she, uh, his, her mother tragically died without, just suddenly. And then she, after that, just a week later, she got a cancer report for breast cancer and she had to uh, have surgery and now they're debating chemotherapy. And I was talking to him this weekend. And he's sitting there with tears in his eyes. And he didn't know what I was preaching on this weekend. And he said this, Ryan, this doesn't make sense. I serve God. I follow him. I go to church even, Ryan, like twice a month. I give every now and then. I'm charitable. I try to not cut people off. I stopped using the bird, that's for sure. I try to get my life in order and I try to get things straight. Ryan, I try to follow God. Yeah, what is happening? None of this makes sense. The cancer doesn't make sense. The loss of my mother doesn't make sense. Her mother doesn't make sense. The fact that she aborted my child without telling me doesn't make sense. I get a sense in his heart, this sense of disappointment with God. This frustration, and it's the Etham dilemma, and many of you are here today, and many of you say, well, I'm not there. I want to give you a news report today. You will find yourself at a dead end in life. A lot of young people in the room today, and life is great, and rose-colored glasses, and I don't want to take away your zeal and your passion for life, because I'm good at that, but I don't want to. <laughs> what I want to tell you today is that there are hard times coming, and what I'm going to share with you towards the end of our message will be a rock that you could stand on when you are finding yourself in a dead end of life. And God could have just, you know, done a miracle and made a way right there, but he didn't. Something very fascinating. We read in the scripture, here they are at a dead end. And then God tells them to turn back and go to Migdal and camp across from Baal Zephon. Look what he says in the verse. Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near this place between Migdal and the sea. And then encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. So the Israelites did this. So God sent them on a 24-kilometer journey towards Etham for no reason. And then he sent them on a 24-kilometer journey back to this place. And while he's coming back and this, it just doesn't make sense. Why didn't God do a miracle from Etham? Why did God make them come all the way back? It's because God was trying to position them for a miracle. And see, where he was going, they were going wasn't the greatest place because now here they are in front of this massive Egyptian tower and they're in this place now where they're, they're, they're being watched by this Migdol tower and 
notified, a, a, a pigeon was sent to Pharaoh and he told them they were happening and now God's involved in this, hardening Pharaoh's heart. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him and he took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them and the Egyptians and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen, and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea uh, opposite of Belzephon. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen, and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea opposite, I'm not saying that word, opposite Belzephon. Did you see it? It was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was God who caused Pharaoh's people and the Egyptian, Pharaoh and the Egyptians to recognize this. It was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart to chase after the Israelites. Now, this is a hard one, and I'm not going to try to answer the deep philosophical and theological questions about the nuances of your life today. So don't try to apply what I'm saying today, either positively or negatively, to why this happened in your life. What I'm telling you is this. All I can see right here in this verse is that God allowed Pharaoh to come at the people of Israel, and he positioned them in a place where once again, they were sitting ducks. He thought to himself, these guys are just sitting there. They must have screwed up. God must have made a mistake. Let's go back and get them right now. This doesn't make any sense. And now, look how the people responded. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? Was, was, like, was the cemetery full? Were you and Pharaoh in on this and wanted us all to die out here? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die in the desert. What are you doing why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this in my life? Maybe you're here today and you're at a dead end and you don't have any idea how you got here and you don't know what to do and the struggle is real and I want you to know that this, this may be you today in this place. You feel like the enemy's been attacking you. You feel like the enemy's overcoming you. You feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm surrounded by fears and anxieties and concerns. I feel like... I'm, I'm surrounded by temptations and I feel like I'm surrounded by, by, by my past. I feel like I'm surrounded. I feel like I'm surrounded by my enemy and yeah, I'm in a dead end and, and now I'm, I'm surrounded by my enemy. I just feel like, I just don't know, God, where are you? God, what are you gonna do? God, how are you gonna come through in this situation? God, what is going on? You feel stuck and frustrated and even upset with God today being a follower of Jesus Christ. What do I do now? Why is all of this happening? And we see very clearly in this text that the Bible gives us two very clear principles, biblical principles, of why God allows us sometimes to reach a dead end. Why God allows us at times to be positioned so that the Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he chases after his people. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the Bible gives us very clear instruction. And this is very simple. 
And I want to leave this with you today with my hopes to encourage you. Now, you don't realize this, but while I'm preaching, some of you are shaking your head. Not like you don't believe me, but that, no, I relate to what you're saying. Some of you here today, you don't realize it, but I can read your body language. You're saying, Ryan, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I got a bone to pick with God over this. I get it. Many of you here today are wondering, what the heck is he going to say? <laughs> How is it going to help me out of this situation? I'm here to tell you today that your situation might not change. I'm not here today to say, man, you know what? It's three easy steps. You give your money, you join a team, and you join a group, and all your problems will go away. I'm not here to say, come on, you give a seed of 10.99 for the next 10 months and start today and put it right in my back pocket. I'm here to say, I know the tragedy and the hardship that you faced or are facing or might face. I don't have the answer for why it's happening. I won't give you something that will get you out of it, but I will help you with something that will help you through it. Because I want you to remember something today. The goal of following Jesus isn't just to have an abundant life today. The goal of following Jesus is to make it to the end. The goal of following Jesus is to stand before the Lord when we've died and lived this life and walked on this planet and chosen to surrender my life to Christ. And I'm no longer going to live the way that I used to live. And I'm no longer going to talk like the way I used to talk. And I'm no longer going to invest my life in the things I used to invest my life into. Now I'm going to build my life on the rock of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to be a disciple. And now I'm going to take up my cross. And now I'm going to serve the Lord. And now I'm going to go after him. And then life starts to hit you and say, what is going on? on this suffering and this cross and this hardship and this decreasing so that he might increase i don't like it one bit guess what you're not alone but that's what it means to follow jesus if i follow jesus thinking i'd have no dead ends or hardship someone sold you a bag of goods it's not true the reason we have jesus is to help us through the dead ends, is to help us through the hard moments. Can you imagine living life, going through a dead end without Jesus? You say, Ryan, I thought it was supposed to make my life better. Yes, it does. It doesn't make your life better necessarily circumstantially. It makes your life better in your heart, in your mind, the way you perceive, the way you see, the way you act, the way you respond. It changes how you think. You say, man, in the past, I'd look at this hardship and say, man, God hates me. Or I'd look at this hardship and say, oh, I just got a bad deal. Or I look at this hardship and I take matters into my own hands. But now as a follower of Jesus, you say, God, I look at this hardship as an opportunity to lay my life down to serve you. I look at this hardship, even though it's hard, and it's the deepest depraved grief I've ever felt in my life. Yet, God, to you be the glory. So we have to understand that every one of us here today will be at a dead end. And I know you're upset, and I know it's frustrating, and I know we're angry at times. And we say, no, it's not fair. Listen, it isn't fair. And yes, we live in a depraved world in a fallen environment. But only because of Jesus can we survive the life that we live. And yes, can we thrive. And yes, are we abundant. And yes, does God want to bless you? Yes. Does he want to bless your life? And does he want to bless you? Yes, 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 yes. Can we all agree on that today? Okay. Let's change it, though. You know life's hard. How do we get through it? What is the two things we learn? And hopefully you can walk away today and recognize that this is exactly why God is doing this in your life. There's a, there's a purpose behind it. And what you need to hear today is that God is actually working on your behalf behind the scenes right now. You might not see it. You might not feel it. You might not smell it. 
You might not hear it. You might not even realize that God works at all. God is actually working right now behind the scenes amongst your loss, amongst your hardship, amongst the situation that you're facing. You need to understand is that God is actively and regularly working in your life. He has a purpose behind the circumstance. And the purpose behind your circumstance, first and foremost, is this, that God would receive all the glory in your life and through your life. Now, there's a big lie in the Christian world today. The big lie is this. Serving Jesus is about me receiving glory. Serving Jesus is about me getting the things that I want and that I need. I'm here to tell you today, serving Jesus is only about one thing, about bringing glory to Christ. Guess what? When God receives glory, you get to experience the benefits of it. When God receives glory, you get to experience the benefits of a manifest miracle or a manifest transformation. When God receives the glory in our life, what happens is, is that God begins to move in our midst and we get to experience the benefit, the luxury, the power of God receiving the glory. And what happens is, is that God wants to use a situation you're facing for his glory. Look what Moses said. Actually, what God said, actually, in verse four, I have planned this. You see that? I planned the detour. I planned the dead end. I planned this being stuck. Now, you could take this all sorts of ways. Remember, I'm not trying to apply this to your specific situation. I can just hear it now. Pastor Ryan said that God planned this tragedy in my life. That's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is that the Lord wants to take this hard situation he, he's involved, he's around, he's with you. And he wants to turn it for his glory. Look what he says. I plan this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. And after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and they will know that I am the Lord. God's purpose in our life isn't about just our well-being, even though we benefit. It's to bring God glory. He wants every situation to bring God glory. He manifests his miracles, and he manifests his signs, and he manifests his wonders, and he does ministry and works on your behalf. And you say, man, look, God's blessing me. Well, God, yes, he's blessing you, but he's actually not blessing you. He's just receiving glory. And when he receives glory, you just get the overflow of that. Because that's what God does. He manifests his glory in your life. And when God gets the glory in your life, guess what? You experience the blessing of that. What's the blessing of that? Unconditional love and healing and transformation. He said, well, God, I'm his favorite. Well, no, the Bible says he has no favorites. He, he loves all the people, but he sure wants the glory. And when God gets the glory in your life, through every situation you face, his glory spills all over your life. And you start to see blessing and abundance and joy and peace. And people around you start to experience and say, man, what is going on? You say, well, I'm a man of God. No, no, no. You say, it's God's glory. He's taken this drastic and terrible situation that does not bring me any personal joy, yet he's restored my joy and peace. How are you so calm in this situation? It's because it's God's glory. We see this in scripture, the book of John. A man was born blind and Jesus said, 
As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you catch those last two words? This man was born blind. Disciples thought, man, someone had to have sinned. (laughs) They had to have made a mistake. They had to, like, you know, not have enough faith. The parents, generational curses. Jesus said, no, 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 none of that. I was actually involved in this. What? You're involved in a man being born blind? That just, we can't rationalize that with our natural thinking. But he says, well, I did this so that my glory might be displayed in him. How was God's glory displayed in him? Does anyone know? He was healed. He was transformed. When he was healed, a miracle, a sign of wonder, was God displaying his glory in his life. And you better believe it, that that guy's life was transformed forever. He walked into the temple and he went to the Pharisees and said, they said, who healed you? And he said, well, Jesus did. And they said, well, how did he do it? He said, do you want to be his disciples too? And they said, stone this man. He was so changed and transformed because he knew that, man, the difficulty that I'm facing, the dead end, the hardship, I know it's hard. I know it doesn't make sense. Yet God will receive the glory and he will manifest his glory in your life and transform you and he will change you. And here's the last thought for today. The reason this purpose, this happens in your life is simply to increase your trust in God. Is to expand your faith. The whole purpose of this entire story was so that the people of Israel would have faith in God. They were going to go on a 40-year journey that was only supposed to be two years. And the reason they spent 38, listen, extra years walking around the wilderness confused and angry and bitter with God was because their faith, they did not trust in the Lord. If we do not learn to trust in the Lord, we will wander in the wilderness for longer than we have to. You'll wander in your bitterness. You'll wander in your frustration. You'll wander with God. I need an answer. You'll wander in frustration at the pastor or the church. You'll wander in in hate or, or hurt or pain or frustration. You'll wander, you'll wander, you'll wander in all that this is happening in your life. And I know it's hard, but all this is happening in your life so that you can learn to trust in the Lord. Because one thing I know about being a follower of Jesus Christ is this. Did you know that this life is only temporary? You know that one day you're going to die. And when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Praise God. I just did a series on heaven. I think Harrison has too, maybe in the past. But you need to understand about heaven. Heaven isn't what you think it is. Heaven is the real life. This is just, you know, the matrix. It's all gray and shadows. Are you like, do you listen to Andrew Tate? No, I don't, don't worry. You don't know who that is, it's okay. This life is temporary. And the point of this life is so that the life that is to come, how we deal with the situations that we face on this life, how we deal with the things that we face in this life, hard or not hard, big or small, determine things in the afterlife in heaven. Now you say, Ryan, that you have to 
work to get into heaven. No, no, no. By faith, you receive inheritance of heaven. But there is something called the new heaven and the new earth. And in that place, our trust in God on this planet matters for our eternal existence. And see what the scripture says here. Look what happened when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord, put their trust in him and Moses' servant. And then he said this, Moses answered the people who were afraid, do not be afraid. Some of you I'm prophesying to you right now, receive this today. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord who will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. Look at this. All you have to do is be still. He, they camped for eight days in Migdol. They camped there waiting for Pharaoh to show up. And he says, all I need you to do is just be still. Just trust in the Lord. Just put your faith in him. He will fight your battle. He will deliver you. It might not happen in this lifetime, but guess what? It will happen in the lifetime to come, the real life, the true life, the authentic life, the life that you and I were created for. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that eternity has been written in every human heart. So when you're frustrated and you're angry at life, and you say, what is that feeling I have? This disappointment and this discontentment and this frustration with life. You see, what is it? I need to get a new job. I need to get a new relationship. I need to go to this. No, do you want to know what it is? It's heaven. It's God calling you home to eternity. And that feeling you get when you experience that dead end and you experience that hardship, that loss you had in life, I know I can't tangibly feel what you felt, but I'm here to tell you today that there is a life to come where there are no tears and there are no fear and there's no sickness and all things will make sense for you. But until then, we have to trust the Lord. Because he's going to fight for you. Trust the Lord. He's going to fight for you. This is truly about your faith in God. Do you trust him when you lose that child? Do you trust him when you lose that job? Do you trust him when you lose that relationship? Do you trust him when your political party doesn't win? Praise God. Do you trust him when things don't go right? Do you trust him when there's hardship? Do you trust him because he just wants you to trust him? He just wants you to put your hope in him. Why? He's working behind the scenes. Did you know that the reason that he had to bring them back to that place in Migdol was because scientists show us that right in that place, I'll show you on this map right here. Right in this spot, there was a land bridge, a natural land bridge that was just below the water. That went up. If they would have crossed above there, it was too deep. But there was a natural land bridge. And as the wind began to came, it carved out this natural land bridge that was right below the water where the people of Israel could walk across on dry ground. The reason you're in a detour and the reason God's bringing you back to this season and the reason God has you camped in Etham and camped in Migdal for so long, it's because he's trying to teach you to trust him. He's positioning you. He's getting you into the right spot. He's getting you into 
the right place. He's going to use your story. He's going to use what's happened in your life. He's going to use it to bring glory to, to, to his people. He's going to use it to bring glory to your neighbors and bring glory to your workers and bring glory to your life. And he's going to position you so at just the right time, God is going to do a miracle in your life so that when you're crossing the Red Sea, you're going to say, oh, it didn't make sense to me then. But as I walk into heaven or as I experience this on earth, you'll say, now I understand what God was doing. Yes, it was hard. Yes, it was difficult. Yet God made a way where there was no way, and he brought me across the water. As we end our time today, I'm going to read two scriptures. And I'm going to, I'm going over just a little bit because Harrison's not here to give me the dirty eye. Read these verses, James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. First Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come. So that, say so that. The proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The people are crying out to Moses. They're freaking out. Look what Moses says. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army. Though his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood beside them, behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided. And Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. And the Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army, the enemies that are against you, and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flood back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. See, this is a story for you and I to remember that our God is the kind of God who still does miracles today. Now, can he heal that sickness? Yes. Can he bring your son or daughter back to life? He sure can. Can he restore your financial fortunes? He did it for me. Can he heal you of sickness and disease and sin? He did it for me. 
But I know sometimes God delays or God doesn't answer in time. And this is why God wants you to know that everything is about his glory. And that he wants you just to trust in him and just to be still. Just to wait. Some of you here today are fighting so hard. I just feel it so strong today. I can actually feel your fatigue. There's a sense of tiredness today. You've been trying so hard and fighting and trying and trying to make it work and trying to make it happen. And God wants you to know today, he just says, stop. Be still. Just be still. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to go beside you and behind you and around you. And I have a purpose for you in this season. Come on, why don't you stay on your feet as I close in prayer today. Come on, every eye closed for a moment. I'm just going to ask two questions here today. Come on, if you're in the room today and maybe you're one category, you say, Ryan, I do not have a relationship with Jesus. I haven't given my life to God. I haven't made him the savior of my life. Come on, with every eye closed here today, anyone here today, I'm not going to pull you forward or embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm going to pray for today. If that's you today, I want you just to place your hand in the air real quick. And just put your hand back down. Come on, anybody else? Come on, all throughout the room. Come on, anybody else? Want to give, give your life to Jesus today? Come on, that's awesome. Six hands. Raise your hand today. Thank you, Lord. Okay, we're going to pray for you in just a minute. Come on, the second people I want to pray for today. You're facing a tragedy or hardship, a difficulty, a detour, a dead end today. And you say, Ryan, I'm feeling frustrated right now. Come on, every eye closed. Would you just put your hand in there and say, that's me. Come on, I knew I was talking to somebody today. All right, Lord, these people have responded. Lord, those in the room who have made a confession of faith by raising their hands, saying, Lord, I want to know you today. Lord, we join in prayer today with these people who have made a choice to serve you for the first time. We pray today, Father, that they would give their life to you, Lord. They would surrender their heart to you. That you wouldn't just be their Savior, but you would be their Lord. Come on, church, would you repeat after me real quick? Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of all my sin. I acknowledge that you are God. You're my Savior, and you're my Lord, and I give my life to you. Come on, let me pray for the rest of you today. Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, for those in the room today who are in Etham, those who are frustrated and hurt and in pain, Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and you would do exactly what you did on that boat. You said, peace, be still. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would invade their thinking and invade their heart and invade their situation no matter what they're facing. And I pray even today there would be crystal clear clarity. A sense not of angst or frustration, but a sense of liberation and joy and peace knowing I don't have the answer, but God, I trust you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help them in this season. Help them journey through this life knowing that, God, you are in control. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, come on, amen. Thanks for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you want to get more connected with our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca.